You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Hallelujah. I want you to take your Bibles today and, and turn to, uh, where are we going, Eric? I'm sorry, I have my phone. I, I don't know why I left my iPad. So if I do this, you'll understand. Anybody 40 and over understands what I'm, what I'm struggling with up here. Uh, but uh, we're going to go to um, Luke chapter 18 um, and verse, verses 31 through 33 to start. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles or we can, we can um, look on to the, uh, the LSV version. That's the large screen version. <laughs> the, um, do you happen to have New King James? I know I'm in Dr. Holler's domain. <laughs> But let's see if we can find, as he calls, King Jimmy or Toys R Us version of the Bible, whatever, whatever he likes to call it. All right. New King. OK, now we're going to we're going to look at that in just a moment. But, I, you know, it's important that we, un, we have understand today. I want to talk specifically about understanding Christ's resurrection. Now, don't turn me off yet. I know that. No. <laughs> But I, my question is, how much do we really know about it? I mean, we do know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Can I get a good amen today? Amen. He died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. But there's something powerful for us to look into today and to receive into our lives that that resurrection power brought and is continues to bring to this world and to our lives. Um, <clears throat> the uh, You know, even if you aren't a sports fan, maybe you'll appreciate uh this story about this this college team, uh, their starting quarterback had just been injured, and quarterback number two was sick, and he wasn't even dressed for the game. And so now all this coach has to lean on is their third string, who had been a quarterback in high school but not in college. For the team, for the college team, he was their punter. So, uh, and to make matters worse, they're backed up to their own three-yard line. They've got a long way to go. It's a lot of green. It was a desperate situation, and the coach's only thought was to somehow get a little farther from their own goal line so that they could be in a good position to punt the ball. So sending in the, the third-string quarterback, he gave him these very specific instructions. Son, I want you to hand off the ball to that big fullback Kowalski for the next two plays. Let him run into the middle of the line and get us a few yards of breathing room. Then I want you to punt the ball. Is that understood? Yes, sir. The young quarterback did as he was instructed on the first play. Sure enough, he handed off the ball to Kowalski. But miracle of miracles, Kowalski breaks the tackle and runs 50 yards down the field. Two play. Second down, or actually it's first down again, but it's his second down. The fans went crazy, and in two plays, Kowalski gets the ball again, and guess what? Breaks another tackle, runs 45 yards. Now here they find themselves from their own three-yard line to the two-yard line. It's goal to go, first down, goal to go. And to everyone's amazement, they hike the ball, and the quarterback punts the ball. <laughs> The stunned players hang their heads low and walk off the field. The crowd is angry. The coach runs out to that young quarterback and says, Boy, what in the world were you thinking out there? He said, I'm just thinking what a dumb coach we got. 
Uh, so our story sounds a bit ridiculous, and, but the truth of the matter is that many of these college and, and professional coaches today do not expect their quarterbacks to make decisions. They send all the plays in from the bench. Now, obviously, we're not here to talk about football, even though we like to a little bit, but there is an important point that we need to see here about our relationship with God. God has paid us this ultimate compliment. He allows us to make our own decisions. That's, a, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, it's a great privilege but it also is a great responsibility. He allows us to call our own plays. When he created us in his image, this was uh, primarily uh, among the characteristics with which he endowed us, the ability to understand and to reason and to choose. So with that in mind, I want us to go look at this verse of scripture here in Luke chapter 18. Is that what I said? Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. In other words, this is what I came for. For he will be delivered. It's kind of interesting. Sometimes Jesus talks in third person, isn't it? Why don't he just say, I will be delivered? But he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. Verse 33. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. And you know what? When Jesus said that these were the things that were written about him, everything that he listed here was actually written before, either in Psalms or Isaiah. Uh, actually, all of these were in, were in Psalms and Isaiah, that he would be delivered to the Gentiles. You can find that in Psalm chapter 2, that he was mocked, Psalm chapter 22, insulted, also Psalm 22, and Isaiah 52 and 53. If you're taking notes, forget about it. Uh, the, the, but I want to go over to Isaiah chapter 50 for just a moment. Because another thing he says is that he, was, he will be spit upon. That's very specific, isn't it? Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6, if we can bring that verse of Scripture up right quick. I gave my back to those who struck me, there's also his scourging, and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Those, that literally came to pass. Also, that the fact that he would be scourged, we, we know in Isaiah chapter 50, there he said, I gave my back. Isaiah 53, uh, we all know this scripture, right? By his stripes, we are healed. That he would be killed. We can find that in Psalm chapter 22 and also Isaiah 53. He was cut off from the land of the living. And then the resurrected one in Psalm chapter 16. I don't have time to go into all those, but everything that Jesus just said was true. That's, that's good to know, you know. That's encouraging. All of the things he said that the prophets prophesied about me are going to come to pass, and sure enough, they did. But I, I want us to just stop and think for a moment because did you understand everything that we just read there? Did, was any of that confusing to any of you when he said he will be mocked, he will be insulted, he will be beat, he will be spit upon, he will be ridiculed, he will die, they will kill him, and he will rise again. Did everybody have, does everybody understand that? Can I get a show of hands here if you understand what we just read here today? Okay, that's good. I mean, I, I expect your answer to be yes, I understand them, Pastor Eric. I mean, after all, they are pretty simple words, aren't they? We do understand those things. Uh, the Apostle Paul said something interesting. He said, uh, I preach unto you Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are saved, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So that's why Jesus took his disciples aside and said, I have something important to tell you guys. We're going to Jerusalem, 
And when we get there, they're going to turn me over to the Gentiles, and all these things are going to happen to me. Now, on the third day I will rise again. And I don't know how, how, I don't know how Jesus could be any clearer with these guys. And he didn't just tell them this once, but over and over again. Matthew chapter 16 and chapter 17 and chapter 20, Jesus tells them the same thing as clearly as he does here. Now, I want us to go down to verse 34. Watch this of Luke 18, verse 34. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken to them. I read that, and I go, what is wrong with you guys? How do you not understand that? Well, it's easy for us to sit in here and judge the disciples. <laughs> right? And we're 2,000 years later. These guys are living in the moment, right? This isn't a script. This is their life. I mean, they're living in the moment right now. So I don't want to be too hard on them. But I still wonder, how is it that they weren't getting it? Now, let's go to Matthew 16, if, if, if you don't mind. Matthew, and if you do mind, we're still going there. Matthew chapter 16 and verse, verse 5. Verse 5. <clears throat> now, when the disciples, we're going to read through verse 8. Now, when the disciples had come to the other side, they, f they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 7. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it's because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you have little faith. Why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. Now, uh, in just a moment, we're going to look at verse 12. Just a, Who is that back there in the back? Ah, Whitney. Sure do appreciate you. So th imagine this for a moment, all right? I, I, I think it's actually the Gospel of Mark says that they had one biscuit with them. Well, in Texas, Oklahoma terms. But they had a biscuit with them, all right? They just had a biscuit. They looked around after Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they, these guys, imagine, they huddled together and they're like, what the heck is he talking about, right? Uh, all right, you better figure something out. Oh, I get it. It's a riddle. Okay, <laughs> Le leaven. Bread. Oh, he's hungry. What do we got here? Matthew pulls out a biscuit. That's all I got. Oh, my gosh. He's going to be ticked. He's testing us. He's testing us about bread. Oh no. oh, no. And as Jesus, and now Jesus is watching these guys, right? He says, what's wrong? How is it that, what, where's your faith? Oh, you little faith. Why are you reasoning about bread? And then he says, how many loaves did it take to feed 5,000 people? They said five. He said, how many loaves did it take to feed 4,000 people? They said seven. He said, and you're reasoning about bread? Let's look at verse 12. Now, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and said, oh, now we get it, Jesus. Isn't that interesting? So why is it that they didn't understand? You know, I think there are several answers to that question, but we all realize, those of us that are a little older, we all realize that there are some things that we learn later on in life, and as we look back, we're amazed that we didn't learn those things sooner. Yeah. Can I get a witness here today? Huh? We're as a matter of fact, if, if 43-year-old Eric Holler could go back and face 20-year-old Eric Holler, I might physically beat myself up. Say, <laughs> so you knucklehead. Stop thinking you know everything. You know nothing. 
I still don't know nothing. I'm 60-year-old Eric's going to come back and beat up 43-year-old Eric. I, I'm, you know. But we reach a stage in life where we look back and we see all the dumb things that we've done and, and wish that someone we had, somehow we had known what we know now. How much better would life be if we had learned some of those lessons earlier? You know, I'm sure my parents probably wondered why I didn't learn from their mistakes. Few mistakes as they ever made. I wonder, and I wonder why my children, I've got three teenage kids. Somebody pray right now in the spirit for me. Two of them girls. I don't even, I can't even comprehend what's going on in their lives. I mean, it's, it's, it's a foreign language every day in my house. And I, I'm having to somehow, by the grace of God, to interpret what they're thinking and why they're thinking that. The boy I get, I get him. Because I is one. But, you know, I wonder why my children didn't learn from, from, from my mistakes. And someday I imagine that my kids will wonder why their kids don't learn from their mistakes. No matter how many times we say it over, don't do that, don't do that, don't do it. They, they're going to do it. Jesus told his guys what was going to happen, and it just didn't sink in. Maybe part of the reason was because... They weren't ready to learn. Maybe that was it. Uh, there's another answer, though, to explain why they didn't understand. The Scripture tells us that uh, Paul says, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, that in which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So guys like uh, Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, members of the Sanhedrin and the, and the Roman soldiers, if they had really understood who Jesus was, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Would not have happened. But my question, I mean, we see that, but do we really understand? That's what I'm trying to get to today. Do we, do you, do I, do we really understand what it means that Jesus rose from the dead? What, what about us? As Paul said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of, of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, his disciples, along with 108 other people, remember he said, go and wait for the promise of the Father? So they go and wait for the promise of the Father. In Acts chapter 2, we read about this marvelous experience where the Spirit of God comes, and there's this sound of a rushing mighty wind and this fire that's set up on each of them. And the Scripture says that they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And something happened from that moment. From that moment forward, that changed all of these followers of Jesus' lives. All of a sudden, things started being understood. Things started making sense. As a matter of fact, as they're standing up there, and there are all these people, thousands of people standing around going, what is going on? There's all this confusion about these people speaking in tongues, and they can hear it in their own language, and they're going, what's going on? And then Peter stands up. Peter, the guy who didn't seem to know anything, stands up and makes sense of this situation. How? Because now he's full of the Holy Spirit, and now being full of this Holy Spirit, now he has revelation. Now he has understanding of what in the natural would be confusing, but in the Spirit can make perfect sense. And something was released. Something was released when Jesus came out of that tomb that we all must know, but there's no way we can know it, except by revelation of the Spirit. All the pieces of the puzzle started coming to you. I mean, you need the Holy Spirit in order to have revelation. You just do. He's, he is the revealer 
of, he is the revealer. The scripture says that, that we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. He's there inside of you to let you know, to remind you what God has given you, to reveal to you over and over again what this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ means for you today and your inheritance in it. You need the spirit in order to have revelation if you don't have revelation, the things of God just won't make any sense. Let's think about that for a moment. How do you comprehend a virgin having a baby? You can reason all that. I mean, Mary says, I mean, even she did. She, I mean, she just used logic here. It says, you're going to have a son. She says, <laughs> you know you're talking to a virgin, right? And I know it takes two to tango. And I've never done that. So tell me how this is going to happen. And then the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And then this is Mary's response. Be it unto me according to your word. That's all you need, Mary? I mean, that's pretty vague. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the highest is going to overshadow you. Oh, that makes perfect sense. I need some more information, Lord. No, I mean, how is this going to happen? Except by revelation of the Spirit. Think about water baptism. How crazy is that if you don't even know what it is? Right? A chance for a preacher to drown you in front of a bunch of people. Come up here. We're going to put you down in the water and we're going to lift you up. And everything's going to be great. Oh, okay. I'll take a shower every day. But if we don't have revelation, how about communion? Right? If you don't have revelation on that, that is bizarre. It's just flat out bizarre. Uh, you, okay, this bread and this wine, or do y'all drink grape juice up here like we do? <laughs> this bread is the flesh, the body of Christ. Eat it. This cup is the blood of Jesus. Drink it. I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to eat flesh and drink blood. See, but without revelation, this stuff is crazy. How about speaking in tongues? Hey, I've been praying in tongues all my life, and I think it's still crazy. <laughs> this mind has never, never wrapped itself around it, ever. It is. Come on, come on, can we just admit it is pretty crazy? And I just want to say to you today, if maybe you believe, that, how many of you believe in the virgin birth? You believe that that. Yeah, she conceived and bore Jesus. That, that's important to believe. Yeah. Have you believed the importance of water baptism here today? Right? That, that you're identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection, and that when, when you go down in that water, there's something happens that you are burying the old man, the old Jew. It's not just a symbol. Something is happening. It's a burial. Amen. Right? And when you come up out of that water, you are raised in newness of life, in the likeness of our resurrected Savior. We, we believe that's important, right? I mean, how many of you believe that all of your sins, all of your sins were eradicated at that cross? That Jesus didn't cover sins, he took them out of the way. He removed them from us. Sacrificial, uh, uh, the animal sacrifices could cover the matter, but that's all they could do. But Jesus' blood wiped them out. Wiped our, took our sins away. Amen. You believe that today? How many of you believe you, you are forgiven? How many of you believe that every bad thing that you ever did, God blamed Jesus for that? How convenient is that for you to believe that, right? 
God blamed Jesus for that, and then he blamed you. Check it out. He credited Jesus for that, and then he credited you with what all the good stuff Jesus did. He credited you with righteousness. See, see, we don't live just a changed life. We got an exchanged life. That is that Jesus Christ became wounded, and we became healed. Jesus Christ became a curse, and we became blessed. Jesus became poor, and we became rich. Jesus became sin, and we became righteousness. Jesus became the Son of Man so that we could be sons of God. It's an exchanged life. I believe that. But I, I think it's funny that there, so many believers will get that far. They'll believe all that crazy stuff, but tongues? Oh, uh, you stopping it, tongues. You're already a freak, man. Just go, be a freak all the way. You're already different. If you believe all that other stuff, don't stop it, tongues. Amen. Come on now. Come on, man. Something happens to you and I when we believe this gospel that Christ died for us. Think about it. Paul said this in Romans 1.16. I love this. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That, that message has been resonating in me lately more and more and more again because when I hear a lot of other preaching, I've, I, I've come to this conclusion, they're ashamed of the gospel because they preach the law. They preach about behavior. And they're ashamed of the gospel and believe that it is the sole power of God to everyone who believes for salvation. That, that's all people need is the gospel. It's everything. But men are ashamed of it because they, they, they think it can't be that easy. It can't be that good. But it is that easy and it is that good. Jesus did all the difficult stuff for us so that we could come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. By grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Isn't that glorious? That's what separates the gospel from everything else. I mean, the gospel is real good news. We've been jaded by good news here, though. We just have. The world's offering good news to us, but we've been jaded because we found out that there's, there's, there's a fine print to that promise. There's something, okay, what's the catch? Right? This is why we come up with phrases like this, and you hear people, and I hate to hear people say, especially believers say this, because it's just not true. But I want you to just finish these sentences for me, and maybe you've, you've heard this and said it yourself. All good things, all good things must, no, 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 don't get scriptural on me. I'm asking you, what do you hear in this world? All good things must come to an end. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. You hear this? Because this is what the world has shown us about goodness, that it really isn't all that good, but the gospel is completely different from all the other news in the world. The gospel is Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and God raised him from the dead three days later. Whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life, period. That's the good news. Because if it's not that simple, that thief in the cross did not go with Jesus to paradise. Right? I mean, the legalistic preacher is going to have a problem with this. Thank God he wasn't there at the foot of that thief's cross when he looked over and said, Lord, remember me when you're coming to your kingdom. Right? 
And this, this, this law preacher would have said, uh -huh, not that easy, thief. <laughs> what you need to do is, is right every wrong you've done. You need to return everything that you've stolen back to those, right? Uh, I'd like to do that, but I'm kind of stuck. I don't know what else to do. It's not that easy. And Jesus didn't turn to him and say, well, you got a few minutes to confess every wrong thing that you've done, boy. You better get to it. You better clean up right now. Right? Hey, listen. What does he say? He immediately opens his arms to him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. This gospel is the good news. And with this gospel that we're not ashamed of. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then the scripture says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Wow, there's revelation then that comes with believing the gospel. Marvelous thing, isn't it? Because when you believe it, I mean, we've all heard the, the, the gospel and, and people hear the gospel, but it's not changing people's lives until they believe it. Right? It's one thing to believe that Christ died for sins, but then to accept that he died for my sins. Oh, now I take it personally. Therefore, it affects me personally. And with that comes understanding. Paul said this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Wow. That I may know him. See, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead isn't just a story for you and I to know mentally. It's, it's something for us to believe and to experience. I'm not just talking about the hope that one day we'll all be, that we'll all be resurrected from the dead, right? I mean, if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, all of us are heading for a hole in the ground. Hey, isn't that good news? That's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. That's really just the beginning. As, 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 uh, was it, who was reading about the seed? Everett was reading about the seed. It's gotta die. And if it dies, it produces much, right? We don't know what that eternal life looks like, but we sure are glad we got it because the moment you close your eyes in death, you immediately wake up in heaven as a child of God, right? That's when living really starts. My wife and I have uh, been walking through a, a tragedy in her family. Her younger brother uh, was found dead in, back in April, and uh, it's been really, really difficult on, on all the family because he was just a darling, and uh, he was an anesthesiologist living up in uh, Seattle. But when, when he, he's about, how, how much younger is he? He's seven, six years younger than me. When he was, when I started dating Heather, he was still in high school. And then when he got up into college, uh, and he was heading toward medical school, so he's taking all the science classes and all those things. He and I would get in these massive debates about, you know, evolution versus creation. Just great time, right? And, uh, and, and he was actually quite brilliant, and it was very difficult for me to argue with him, except I just kept, you know, relying on the Bible. And, uh, but, and so we would have these, uh, and, and, and we'd argue over the existence of God and all those kinds of, and, and which religion is right. You know, you've had some of these, you know, how do you know Christianity is the right one? Or, you know, how, how do you know it's not this one or this one? And how do you know they're not all good? Blah, blah, blah. You know, all those kinds of, of debates. 
So one day, back in 1997, Heather and I were living in San Marcos, Texas at this time. My brother and I had bought a music store, and so we were running a music store and a recording studio down there. And um, my brother-in-law calls me. His name was Judd. Judd calls me on the phone. He says, uh, hey, uh, I, I, something kind of interesting happened to me today, and I thought maybe you'd be interested in hearing this story. I said, okay, sure. He says, well, um, he says, I went to take my, uh, my MCAT, all right? Now, this is th so that he can get a score to see whatever medical school he's going to go. And this is to go into medical school. And he says, I, I want to score a 31. That's, that's my goal, to score a 31. Because if I can score a 31 on the MCAT, he said, I can choose whatever school I want to go to. Right? I think the highest score on that is like 33 or 34. So that's high expectations. 31, he can get wherever he wants. So he said, so I'm sitting at the test today. He said, and I showed up there comfortable in sweatpants and a T-shirt. He said, I'm sitting there. And he said, I put my hand in my pocket. And I, and I felt paper in there, so I pulled it out. He said, because I hadn't worn the sweatpants in a while. And he said, it was money. And he said, it was $31. Oh, wow. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, do you think that's a sign? <laughs> I said, you? You who don't believe in any of this are asking me if this is a sign? He said, well, I, I'll, let me just admit something to you. He said, I, I did say a little prayer. I said, you prayed to a God who doesn't exist? Yeah. Wow. He said, I did. I said a little prayer. He said, I, I just said, uh, if this is you, then I will take this money. If I, and I score a 31. I have to score a 31. If I do score a 31 on my MCAT, I will darken the door of a church and go put this in the offering. And I said, Judge, you better get ready to go to church. He said, well, we'll see. He said, I actually don't feel very good about the test. He said, I really think I did pretty bad. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. Two weeks later, my phone rings and it's him. And as soon as I answer it, he's laughing. He's laughing his head off. He says, you are not going to believe I got my MCAT score today. Guess what I got? I said, uh, 31 maybe. He goes, that's exactly right. Can you believe that? I got a 31. I said, well, he did his part. Now you got to do your part. And he did. He did. He, he found a church, went with a friend, and put that money in the offering. But that did something to, to him that he, he, he was never the same from that day forward. He, it, it opened up his heart. It opened up his mind to, to believe. And to, now, now, he went on through medical school, and we went right back to our debates. And as soon as he tried to debate with me the existence of God, I would just say, uh, 31. <laughs> And he would just say, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, all right, all right. So much so that it, it opened up that I went to, uh, to help him. He got in, into a little bit of trouble some years ago. And so I, I brought him to my house and, and moved him upstairs. And, and so he was just working through some personal issues. And, and I told him, I said, tomorrow you're going to go to church with me because this was a Saturday. And he said, okay. So I got him up that morning. And it happened to be Father's Day. And we get there, and my dad wasn't preaching. My dad's pastor, Jim Hester, was preaching that day. And he preached on the prodigal son, just a simple little story about the boy who went away and came back, right, and was restored. And as he's, as he's telling this, just preaching to us, he says, you know, there are some of you here today. And I made Judd sit on the front row with me just so he'd be good and comfortable in church, right? There's all the way up to the front. The preacher's right there. And he says, some of you here today, you need to come back home. You need to come to your father. And as he's saying that, right, I see Judd just stand up and walk forward. 
the, and the, even the Pastor Jim was like, oh, uh. This. And so we led him to Jesus right there. And from, from that time forward, I was feeding him all kinds of tapes and, and tapes. This is CDs, I mean. Even that's being irrelevant now. Um, <clears throat> So, so just giving all these teachings, you know, and, and he was eating it up, you know, and he just told me, I'm, I'll never forget when he said, man, and he, he was talking to me about one of the messages about, about uh, the Lord, and, um, and, and I said, yeah, isn't that cool? He goes, he goes, I believe this stuff. I said, I know you do. It's great. So that's why we, in one way, even though we lost him a few weeks ago, we know that he's, he's in heaven now. And, and, and I, I'm saying all that because, because sometimes we... We forget about that, right? We're not focused. We're focused on what's going on right now, you know? I hope it stops raining. gum. you know? What, 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 we're, we've got something else in our minds, but, but we got to stay connected to our heavenly home and to who we really are, all right? Because this life is here, and then it's gone, and then it's, then it's forever, right? But we have this hope, and we know because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, all of us have the hope that we will rise from the dead too. Part of our salvation is that not only for we, the Spirit, and the soul, but also the body will be glorified. Amen. So that, that's, that's an awesome, awesome thing. But you, and, and I want to say this to you because this resurrection power is available for you and I right now. So it's not just about a futuristic thing. There's something right now for you and I to receive from that resurrection. All right? And, 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 and you don't have to accept defeat ever in your life. You never have to accept it. Uh, Jesus didn't rise from the dead for you to just accept things as they are and cope with life. Everybody else has that answer, right? He got up. He who breathed his last, who was nailed to a cross, he got up from the grave. Hallelujah. He got up. He whose body was wrapped in linen for burial. He got up. Amen. He who was laid in a tomb and was dead for three days, he got up. Right? When there was no hope of ever getting up, Jesus got up. Jesus told Martha, whose brother Lazarus had been dead for four days. We're going to go to this last scripture. Turn to John chapter 11, verse 25. John 11, verse 25. She comes up to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus said to her, I am, watch this, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And Martha said what we all would say as far as understanding what that means. Yeah, I know he'll rise in the, in the last day. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know he'll rise in the last day. Right before Jesus said this, I know that he'll rise. Because Jesus said, your brother will rise again. She goes, yeah, I know that. I mean, all of us. And he said, uh, I am the resurrection. Am there's something now for you to understand about who I am and what this resurrection power means for you right now. All right, are you ready for this? I'm almost through. But I think it's going to get gooder. The word for resurrection, if, you, if you're a Bible studier at all and you, look, you like to look at concordances in Greek and, and Hebrew, this, this word, this Greek word for resurrection, listen to this. This is what it means. The standing up again, the recovery. The standing up again, the recovery. Now watch now what Jesus just said. I am the stand up again 
and I am the recovery. In other words, as long as I'm on the scene, there is hope. For those of you who are lost today, I want to say this to you. Jesus Christ is your stand-up and your recovery. Maybe some of you have lost. You've lost a loved one. You've lost your job. Let me just say this to you. Jesus Christ is your stand-up again and recover. Are you grieving? Are you discouraged here today? Are you depressed? Jesus Christ is your stand-up again and your recovery. You need to know that about this resurrection. That it's not something that's just futuristic. It's right now, in this moment, in this place, in your life. If your marriage is broken, let me tell you today, Jesus Christ is your stand-up again and your recovery. You who are, who, who, who are overcome with some addiction, some bad habit, Jesus is your stand-up again. And Jesus is your recovery. Maybe you're struggling with sin today. Jesus is your stand up again and your recovery. Whoever you are, whatever trouble you're facing today, let Jesus take over. Tell him, I need you right now. I need your resurrection power now. I need that stand up again. I need that recovery. Because that's what he is now. 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 Come on, shout now. Now he is. Say this with me. He is, he is. my stand-up again. Stand he, he is my recovery. My he is my resurrection. Is. And the scripture says that the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives, dwells, abides in your mortal body. So there's something right now in this mortality. While you are in your mortality, there is resurrection power. The very same one that raised him from the dead is in you right now. I don't know what that does to you, but that really makes me happy to know right now I have access to it even in this body that is subject to death. That's what mortal means, subject to death. And he will make alive. He will quicken you. So whatever it is you're facing, whatever situation it is, today by faith, receive his resurrection power. Don't just wait for it someday when... Thank God for it, that we will all be raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Scripture says that the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, which means they get first class seating. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will ever be with the Lord. That's going to be a glorious day. And I'm looking forward to it. But we need him now too. We need that resurrection power now. Huh? I just, I just want to call on you today. If you're here today and you say, I need what, whatever that looks like in your life, I want you to stand where you are. You're here to, you are going to receive right now, just by faith, standing up saying, I'm receiving right now that resurrection power in my life. I'm letting it affect my situation now. I need the stand up and I need the recover now. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you right now. We thank you right now that you are. Jesus, you said, I am. That means right now. Right now you know our situation. Right now you're with them. Right now you are their stand-up. Right now you are their recovery. And right now we declare in Jesus' name resurrection power. Right now. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord, that when you came up out of that grave, you signified to us, we can get up again. We can recover. Not all is lost. This is not a hopeless situation. There is hope. There is help. There is strength. There is grace. There is love. There is restoration. There is healing. There is power right now. And we thank you for that right now, Jesus. We thank you for that right now, resurrection power. And I declare that wherever they, whoever these are today, and whatever their situation is, I declare they will stand up again and they will recover in the name of Jesus. We thank you that nothing is impossible because Lord, you overcame the most hopeless situation. Dead in a tomb, but you got up so that they can get up too. And I thank you now for it. And we're not going to be persuaded by this world. We're not going to be persuaded by our circumstances, by our situations, by what has happened, by the level of, and the degree of hurt and the pain that we've experienced. Today, we're putting all of our faith in the I am, the resurrection. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, right now that you are a very present help in time of need. Right now, you're on their side. Right now, Lord, your word is working in their lives, even though they might not see it right now. But, Lord, your word is still just as true as ever. Your promise is real, and you are the best promise keeper ever. If you said it, you will absolutely do it. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that. Right now, listen to me. I want to say this to you before I, before I give, this, I'm going to give this back over to you. Before, before we, we, we stop... How many of you believe that God can do anything? Right? We, we believe that. I don't think there's any argument across the board in Christianity. We all know that he's, he can do something. Especially when we see the scripture says, now God is able, right, to do exceedingly abundantly above all. But what a shame it would be if all we knew that he was able. You have to understand that and make this connection that every time God says, or the scripture says he is able or I am able, you also need to understand that the end of that sentence is I'm also willing. All right? He's not just able, he's willing. Right? See, religions cheated people so much. They just keep people on the power. God can do anything. He's omnipotent. He's almighty God. Well, great. But I, okay, but can he, I need help. Well, you just never know if God's really going to, help you in your situation because after all he's God and he knows what's best what kind of answer is that I could have learned that reading a little comic book I, I don't I need some I need I mean is he interested in me right now is he really interested in my situation right we're just going to chalk this up that God's just going to do whatever he wants to even though he's promised all these things yeah but he's God he can change his mind why would he do that he can't be trusted if he does that, right? If he's able, then he's willing. He's showing, he's not telling us, now I'm able, look how big my muscles are as God. And look how weak you are. If, if my child is sick, all right, and I thank God my children are healthy, but if they're sick and I have in my power, I have medicine in my cabinet that can help them recover. I mean, it actually will help them. But if I don't give that to them, what kind of father am I? I've got the ability, I've got the stuff that'll help them, but I'm just not willing to give it to them. Huh? What kind of father is, what kind of heavenly father would he be if he was just able but not willing? Right? Jesus said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask? 
It's not about God not being willing. It's about the fact we don't ask. People don't ask. Because many people don't know that they can ask and simply receive from Him. Because if He's able, He's willing. Say it. If He is able, He's willing. If He's able, He's willing. And He's willing for you. He's willing for your situation, for your life right now. He does love you that much. Amen. It's been great being with you guys today. Thank you for having me.